It's time for episode 53 of the Clockwise Podcast, recorded September 9th, 2014, live from Cupertino. Clockwise, four guests, four topics about Apple, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, a podcast that's recorded directly from Dan Frakes' office. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I'm joined across the table from myself with by my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Dan. Good to be here. Boy, a lot of stuff happened today. I would agree with that. That's certainly a lot of stuff happens here. And we've got two fine guests with us today as well who are also in person with us. To my left, it's Tech Hive editor, Philip Michaels. Hi, it's uh, great to be here, and it's great to see the two hosts together before one of you is replaced. And to my left, it's Macworld's very own Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello. I'm very happy to be here as well. This is my first time in Dan Frake's majestic office. And majestic is the word for it. So here's how this works. We have four people. We have four topics. They're all going to be about the Apple event because we just came from there, and we're the four people from IDG who are there. And to get us started with topic number one, it's Dan Morin. So, obviously, the big topic that kicked off the Apple event was the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, two larger iPhones, bigger than anything we've seen before, but Tim Cook assures us also better. So my question for you guys is, uh, which do you think, you know, which of these two devices do you think is really designed to appeal to, uh, you know, the the vast majority of people? Is the iPhone 6 Plus just sort of a low-hanging fruit thing for, for people who really want a tablet and a phone in one? Is the iPhone 6 Plus just too darn large? What are your first impressions? Phil? Well, um, I, I uh, looked at the iPhone 6, and I thought that that's kind of just about the right size. It's the 4.7-inch screen. Uh, I think I've talked on the podcast before how sometimes I'll, I'll delay doing things on my current iPhone 5C, like uh, certain websites don't don't look very good on a on a, a, a tiny screen. So I like the fact that Apple squeezed in more uh, uh, screen size there. Having seen now the um, the iPhone 6 Plus in person, it looks like a giant comical prop phone. I I. I can't imagine who would like that. I guess there are some people who do because because Samsung makes all the 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 the, the giant five inch plus phones, and now Apple is as well. Uh, good luck to you if you can fit that in your pocket. You must have a you must have deep pockets, friend, because that is that's a big phone. I. I, I'm sure it's great for watching uh, uh, videos and such, but as a as a phone that you carry around with you, I, I can't see the purpose. iPhone six, yay. As somebody who I don't think is any larger than you, my it fits in my pocket, the iPhone 6 Plus. It fits just fine. Um, I am, admit to being slightly intrigued about it just because it's sort of like an iPad and sort of like a phone. And, it, and I do find myself frustrated sometimes with uh, doing things on the iPhone and we'll switch to the iPad because there's more screen real estate. And I wonder, I, I doubt that I could use it instead of both my iPhone and my iPad, but perhaps I'm kind of interested in, in, in seeing if that's possible. I think the iPhone 6 itself doesn't feel doesn't feel any different. I think people switching from the, the 5 or the 5S to the 6 will get used to it in a matter of a couple of days and they won't even notice and they'll just enjoy that it's a, a larger screen. But yeah, I think I think the iPhone 6 Plus is going to be a uh, an acquired taste. It's not going to be for everybody. It's not supposed to be for everybody. But I can see why some people might like it. Also, you know, I never hold my phone to my ear anyway, so I'm always using a head headphones or or, or a headset. So yeah, so I'm holding it right. That's what I'm saying. Serenity. 
Um, I got to play with both of them in the hands-on area. And yeah, what, what you're saying, Jason, I think holds true completely. I have a, a Mophie juice pack on my, on my current iPhone 5S right now. And actually, with that juice pack on, it is almost identically size-wise, um, only much, much thinner um, to the my current iPhone 5S with a with a juice pack. Now, sadly, I don't think the iPhone 6 is going to necessarily have the uh, added battery bonus of uh, what my juice pack currently has. But uh, it does feel good in the hand. And uh, the thing that actually really little little thing that impressed me was having the power button moved from the the sleep wake button moved from the top of the device to the side of it for both the 6 and the 6 plus and it feels actually it felt a little weird at first cuz you know you're used to clicking up at the top but um the more i got used to it the more i realized yeah this is actually a this is a really good place for it um and uh and both of them do fit in women's pockets although the the 6 plus um fit is uh <laughs> fit is you know if you don't mind it sticking out a little bit i Personally, would not use a 6 Plus uh, unless I really didn't want to have any other touch device except for a phone. Uh, but I think the 6 will do just nicely. I think just like the 4-inch screen from the 3.5-inch will get used to it pretty quickly and then be like, how did I ever not use it before? I will say I did recently get talked into buying a – in replacing my television, getting buying a larger television than I thought I was going to need. And I got used to it pretty quickly. So I, I agree with Jason's sentiment that you can get used to pretty much anything. That said – I do feel like right now just sort of my base reaction to the 6 Plus is a little bit too small to replace my iPad and a little bit too big and thus taking away a lot of the things I like about my iPhone. So it may not quite split the difference for me, but your mileage may vary. For our next topic, Phil Michaels. So I've been thinking about a lot about watches. As listeners to this podcast will know, I, I go watch-free. Uh, we'll probably continue to do so. I was impressed by the iWatch that I saw today. If I were in the market for a watch, maybe I would be interested, but that $349 starting price, that, that got me thinking, is that something that's going to be a hurdle from, for people uh, adopting this new, uh, this new device? Jason? Well, the Apple Watch, I don't know, it starts at $349, and I, somebody asked me how, how high it goes, and it's a watch, so it's like jewelry and a luxury item. It goes as high as you want, how much money you got. Um, I think at $349, Dan and I were talking about this on the ride over here, that, uh, you know, the the um, it strikes me as not being something necessarily that's going to be an impulse purchase. At the same time, Apple's courting a market that is probably comfortable spending $350 for this. It does a whole lot more than the iPod did when it when it came out, and it cost more. So it, it you know, and you're somebody who's already bought an iPhone, so you've already invested in this, and you've already paid money in for your iPhone, and now, so you know, in the long run, is it going to sweep uh, the world and take everybody uh, by storm at $349? Probably not. But I think they will find a market, and the the initial buyer of the Apple Watch market is going to be willing to spend that money. So I think it's a smart way to start the process. I think perhaps that market will change over time, and we'll see what happens later on. But you know, I think they know what they're doing, and I think the people who are going to buy it are going to buy it at that price and not flinch. Yeah, I um is as a piece of jewelry and as a as a functional piece of technology, three fifty seems like a personally. Uh, a reasonable price, uh, which is not to say that it's cheap by any means, uh, because you know you can get watches for ten dollars at a at a five below if you really want to, or I guess five dollars. Um, but uh, I feel comfortable. I feel I would feel comfortable spending that amount of money um, at a base price. And you know the people who want the gold watch with the fancy extra chain and twenty four carats on their wrist can uh, spend whatever 
gosh darn amount that that's going to be. Yeah, you can get a watch for 10 bucks. Then again, it doesn't do all the things that the iWatch does. And for 350 as we said, not only is it cheaper than the original iPod, it's a lot cheaper than the original iPhone for that matter. Um, and, you know, I think that yeah, there's definitely a market with disposable income that's willing to do that. And especially as Jason pointed out, the early adopters, the people who are going to be looking at this first version of a device, which as we all know, will probably have some difficulties. <laughs> um, but I also think that this is, you know, keep in mind, 350 uh, is a starting price, and it's the price for the first generation version. So I would not at all be surprised to see that come down a bit within the next couple versions. I guess the thing that uh, that made me swallow hard when I saw that price tag is you, you're using it with your phone, and. To be fair, Apple wisely uh, uh, made it backward compatible with the iPhone 5 and higher. So for some people, that's a that's a sunk cost. But if you're buying an iPhone 6 or an iPhone 6 Plus at the same time you're buying an iWatch, that's that's $550 of tech on your person uh, just as a starting point. Could, could even be higher depending on capacity and model watch that you use. Um, I think that's going to price a lot of people out of the market. Maybe it doesn't matter because it's early adopters, but um, uh, I, I, I wish I had that kind of dosh lying around. Jason? All right. We are at the halfway point in this rapid-fire uh, shortened edition of Clockwise from the Apple event. Uh, and since it's halftime, I want to tell you about our sponsor – uh, it is personal capital. It's a free, secure tool that solves two barriers to growing your wealth. The first barrier is that it's hard to keep track of stocks, 401k, bank accounts, and all of that on different sites with different usernames and passwords. And secondly, you pay somebody to manage it, and you're probably paying too much. Personal capital brings all your accounts and assets on one single screen, and it's on your computer, on your phone, or your tablet with real-time and intuitive graphs. It shows how much you're overpaying in fees and how to reduce those fees, and you'll get tailored advice on optimizing your investments. So why wait? Signing up takes just a minute. It'll pay big dividends. Personal Capital will give you total clarity and transparency to make better investment decisions right away. Set up your free account by going to personalcapital.com, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, remember, personalcapital.com slash clockwise. Personal Capital is free, and it's the smart way to grow your money. Go to personalcapital.com slash clockwise for your free account. Now back to the show. Topic number three is mine, uh, and it's again about the Apple Watch. Um, when the iPhone originally came out, it was a product that didn't do a whole lot, but what it did was highly refined and worked really well. Lots of stuff it just didn't do, uh, but the stuff it did, it did well. The Apple Watch isn't out yet. We don't know what it's going to do uh, in detail when it comes out next year. It's not going to come out until 2015. Um, but I have to ask, it doesn't look like a product that is taking the iPhone philosophy of doing a few things well. It, it, I can't judge whether it's going to do them well or not, but it seems to be trying to do a whole lot of things, just a huge raft of features that are built into this watch. So my question for all of you is, is Apple trying to do too much with the Apple Watch? Does it look like it's too cluttered with features or does that not matter? Is it, is it great that it can do anything and be all things to all people? Serenity? Well, I mean, it's a very uh, dynamic and very um, auspicious and and uh, it's it's a giant move for Apple to, to come and say, yeah, um, not only are we going to go into this brand new product category, but we're not going to take the two or three years that we had with like the iPhone and the iPhone 3G before we introduced third-party apps. Oh, you want third-party notifications? Those are going to be built in right off the bat. And I'm not necessarily sure if this is, you know... 
I'm not necessarily sure if it's wise or not um, that they're jumping in so fast to this. I think part of Apple probably says, well, we know all of these things. We've learned to do these things well with the iPhone. And WatchKit from, you know, I wasn't able to get a clear answer from representatives at the event, but WatchKit looks like at least has some something in common with iOS. Um, and as such, developers should be able to incorporate it into, um, you know, existing apps and, and build new apps for the phone and, and interfaces, just like they're working on HomeKit and extensions and everything like that, if Apple has done its job correctly. Um, that all said, the, you know, the demos that we saw today uh, were still very, very rough. And I mean, it's it's clear that this, this watch still has a, a bit to go. So I don't know necessarily, you know, are, are we going to see something that does a bunch of stuff, you know, halfway? Or are we going to see polished couple apps from Apple itself and then third-party developers running wild with it like the iPhone 3G? It's certainly ambitious. And, you know, we heard from Tim Cook today that Apple's been working on this for a long time. I mean, they didn't necessarily go into details, and, but that's been said about both the iPhone and the iPad as well. Um, and I agree with Ren that they're, you know, learning uh, a lot from their experience with the, the iPhone and the iPad and sort of bringing that to bear on this device. I think a lot of people, you know, despite the fact that I think there was a lot of theory, theorizing about Apple doing sort of very targeted appeal with the, the Apple Watch, I think that they've realized that people don't necessarily, I don't know if it's not quite say they have the patience for that, but I think that people expect a lot from their technology these days. And rather than shipping something that was sort of, we're going to start with these limited features and roll things out there, I think they decided to wait to put it out until they felt like they could, you know, sort of hit all the points that they wanted to hit and that people would expect. It does fitness. It's a watch. Uh, it's a communicator. I think those are the three things that Tim Cook said, very, very reminiscent of that original iPhone introduction. Um, and so I I think that they've learned a lot. Right now, this holds a sort of an analog position for me to the in the same way that the iPod held to the Mac. It is tied to another device, um, but there is also, I feel like, the hint that at some point in the future, that might be you know your primary device rather than your phone. So it's it's intriguing, and they seem to think it's a big deal and a major product category for them. It's the biggest product that they have probably, or certainly biggest new product category they've announced in years. So I, I think it's ambitious, but yeah, I'm sort of waiting to see how that goes. I think the fact that they're uh, not releasing it until next year and skipping the uh, skipping the holiday shopping season entirely this year is uh, is telling. I think Apple wants to take time to to get this right with the apps that it is putting on there, so that they're apps that make sense for a, a watch interface. Um, it's also noteworthy. I think that they specifically called out the fitness tracking uh, uh, capabilities. I think that's really going to be the selling point of this device, and uh, all the other stuff that it can do is going to be what brings in the uh, what makes people want to commit that three hundred and forty nine dollars? I, um, I I think Apple is actually taking the right approach with uh, with what they're putting on here. I would agree with you, what, what you guys said. I, I would add that um, one of Apple's great strengths is its incredibly strong community of third party app developers and the App Store. And so, uh, having a product that comes out, what makes this watch unlike other smart watches that are out there or that are to come? Um, well, one, it's from Apple, but two, it's going to have apps written by the rich app 
ecosystem of developers. And that's a big deal. I think that matters to the success of the product. So um, I am a little surprised that it's as complicated as it is the first go round, uh, but we'll see how it goes. I think, I think though, that they were smart to uh, try to get app developers involved in the beginning and not tell them, hey guys, I know you want to be on our watch, but you're going to have to wait two years. All right, one more topic to go, and then we will be done. Serenity Caldwell, what would you like to talk about? I want to talk about another part of Apple September event, which was Apple Pay. We're going away from the eyes here. No iWatch, no iPay. Um, Apple Pay, of course, is Apple's uh, variation on NFC, uh, Near Field Communication Payments. Um, and the app, Apple Pay builds on some of the stuff that Apple's been doing for the last couple of years, including Passbook, and incorporates it with an NFC sensor and Touch ID, so that, in theory, when you go into a store, all you have to do is wave your phone by an NFC reader and use Touch ID to authenticate, and good things happen. You, you pay for your stuff. Um, I think this is really cool, but, of course, there have been concerns with privacy recently. I think that Apple's Apple Pay is doing a... Uh, a good job of saying, well, all this stuff is stored locally on the phone. It's encrypted. We don't actually have your numbers. We're generating random numbers. We're authenticating with your bank. We're doing all the things to make it really, really hard for someone to hack your credit card information, which is good, but I still worry about that sort of stuff. I still worry about, you know, how how secure is this going to be really? How many people really have NFC payment terminals? We heard about some. And uh, do we think this is going to kick off where a bunch of other NFC things have failed? Yeah, let's say first that, you know, though I think the iPhones were nice upgrades today and the, the Apple Watch is very exciting and flashy and new, but I think that Apple Pay is the thing that's most likely to make a difference in people's lives um, because, you know, and, and they made a big deal out of this during the keynote where Tim Cook showed, here's a video of all the steps you have to go through right now when you go to pay for something. And, you know, all of those things are things that we're all familiar with, digging through your wallet to find the right card, signing receipts, all of that. And, you know, this has, as, as Ren alluded to, a lot of people tried to solve this problem. Nobody's really managed to pull it off. Now, Apple has some advantages that a lot of other companies don't. Um, they have a tremendous amount of clout. Um, to be able to sort of deploy these things throughout a huge swath of devices that are going to get bought. Uh, and they have the ability to work with, at a really high level with a lot of partners, as we've seen. They worked with Amex, MasterCard, and Visa, you know, which basically covers you know, 95 99% of your credit card market for certain. Um, so I think that it's going to be a little while before we see, see this kick in. Um, it's interesting because they talked about its integration with Passbook, and Passbook is something we've seen them sort of slowly roll out over the last several years, but it's never it's never quite caught on like sort of at a mainstream level. But I think that something like Apple Pay has the potential to, because not only of its uh, integration at point-of-sale locations in the brick and mortar, but also because of its online integration. Um, there are so many worries over security and the fact that Apple is trying to, from the ground up, build a system that could fundamentally, fundamentally make it really difficult for someone to get access to your financial information, your credit card number, et cetera, is really, really compelling, especially because every week we see new security breaches and new financial problems and hacks and things like that. So I think that is a huge driving force, and they've sort of hit the market at a perfect moment where everybody is really worried about that. So I think they've got a good chance of succeeding. I, I think you um, you raise a good point there about how people are worried about it, and I think Tim Cook uh, struck the right note today when he talked about the the insecure insecurity of using a plastic credit card where the your account number is visible right there. the The problem I think is that I'm not sure that Apple uh, has has quite earned that. Uh, 
that security and privacy trust. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jennifer Lawrence is not going to be the celebrity spokeswoman for, uh, for Apple Pay. Uh, and I think Apple really is going to need to sell this more than they have with the, um, with the security and the privacy angle. I think they actually were selling it more than they have today. And one of the ways that this system is architected is Apple basically isn't involved. Apple is storing this stuff in a secure location. It's auto-generating uh, one-time access codes and is not actually tracking in its servers what happens. It's all sort of between you know you and your bank. And uh, I think that's a good story to tell, that Apple isn't going to be the man in the middle here, and Apple doesn't want to be the man in the middle. So uh, by using those one-time auto-generated codes, it's actually more secure than using your credit card, which I think is good. Um, yes, you know Google's been trying to do this for a while, but the challenge is Google doesn't control its hardware partners, and Apple being in here and bringing that clout, like Dan said, is good because it gets the ball rolling. And this stuff isn't unique to Apple. These terminals are going to work with any Android phone that's got an NFC chip in it, too, I think. But... Um, um, but it's going to be good for all of us because um, we're going to be able to pay for stuff more easily, and I think that's good. And I think it will be uh, more secure, we'll say, than the current system. That doesn't mean it's secure, super secure, but it's more secure than the current system. Serenity, how do we do? I think you did very well. I think it's very interesting. And um, is that, that about time for, for Clockwise? Yeah, we've uh, reached the end of our thing, so I'll just throw in a really quick bonus question at the end. How was your sandwich? My sandwich was delicious. I was hoping we were going to be asked about U2 because I had some great U2 material prepared. No, I had a great salami sandwich today. Roast beef, hot roast beef, excellent, excellent sandwich. Chicken breast Caesar. Oh, Lord. Thank you, sandwich. That was delicious. And I had turkey breast and prosciutto, which was also incredibly delicious. That's all we have time for for now. Serenity Caldwell, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Philip Michaels, thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. Dan Frakes, thanks for hosting us at your house. Anytime, Jason. And that's it for Clockwise. Tune in next week. Who knows what we'll be talking about then. Uh, Dan, it's been a pleasure. And watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.